Hello there. Hello everyone. Hello. Can you hear me? Are you there? How's the sound? Well, actually, you can't tell me what the sound balance is. I can't. I can't do anything because this. I'm recording this days ago. Uh, <laughs> it's a pre-record. Uh, apologies for the um, the change in the schedule. I know I teased uh, the the double whammy act of the Institute for Government report this week, but there's been a change of plan, and uh, that'll be happening next week. As I'll as I'll stick in the trailers at the end. But um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Uh, no, I need a, a week. I need a week's break, so there won't be any stream. There hasn't been any stream this week either, uh, and won't be on Friday either, uh, and wasn't last Friday. But there will be again on Monday, so uh, never fear. But uh, yeah, so, uh, oh, wait a minute, let's go big face. Let's, let's go big face. Hello, hello, hello. Um, yeah, sorry about that. But uh, anyway, on, on the plus side, you're getting a, you're getting a special pre-recorded episode. Um, I hate doing pre-records on my own because it's so lonely. I haven't got all of you in the chat, the chat going down. But anyway, um, it's fine. We're going to do this. Uh, we're talking about a thing which I might rabbit on for hours about. But uh, hopefully not. Hopefully it'll be quite tight. Uh, we're going to talk about what were we going to talk about? We're going to talk about uh, why is standard why is standard track gauge four foot eight and a half inches? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to reveal or reveal the secrets of why uh, why standard gauge track is that funny dimension. And I also said in the in the space shuttle episode with uh, John Morgan Christoph that we were going to go through that that stupid thread from a while back in a bit more detail, and I kind of go through and talk each talk through each tweet and why it was stupid. Um, yeah, so let's let's do that. Let's do those things. But first, the news. Uh, yeah, there's not much news for a variety of reasons, uh, and I dare say there probably won't be much news for much longer. Uh, the Suez Canal is still stuck at this point. Maybe it's not anymore, actually, but it's it certainly... Uh, when I'm recording this, there's still there's still one digger and a bloke uh, <laughs> just trying to push this thing out. The memes are good, though. Anyway, yeah, Perda's descending, which means that all of the many reports that are supposed to be coming out, Williams, decarbonisation, the WISP, IRP... Oh, golly, what other ones? All of these aforementioned things um, are uh, are not happening. They're all hidden away. Again, government's got an excuse to delay them right back beyond uh, beyond election time. So when's that? Late May? So basically it's going to end up being... And then by that point, they've got to kind of check that it's fine again and it'll do the houses. So all those reports, it's going to be the end of the year. And by the time it's the end of the year, they always end up saying, oh, well, you know, we can just push it back to next year. And as ever, everything slips everything gets worse everything gets less uncertain we lose a load of people to the industry we emissions get worse and the cycle continues so yeah so that's all the news i'm afraid that there isn't any and there's not going to be any good news for a while what else i think that's it actually yes bottoms there's a i bet this will get flagged as being rude that's a horse's arse uh rather more intimate view than i'd remembered it being golly uh, and and track gauge and, and this whole this whole episode is going to be about the fact that these two things are basically unrelated uh for any particularly interesting or certainly not in, an, in a specific or interesting way uh, and that, that's what makes it more interesting uh yes so without further ado bottoms up we're going to kick off the episode <laughs> City 225 fades away, fades away to the distance. What are we going to look at? Well, we're coming back to that horse's arse of a tail again. 
we're going to um, we're going to go through that thread, and we're going to go through that thread with a little more in a little more focus and attention than, than we did last time. Uh, and I'll talk about why things in it are wrong. Um, so yeah, let's let's do that. Um, and I've got my dinger out again because people like my dinger. That's not a euphemism. Uh, yeah, and I also have Ella. You'll be pleased to hear that I have uh, have indeed got. Uh, there we are. The Wacom is out, so I can get the Wacom out, which is nice. People always like that, possibly. Um, yeah, what have I got to say? Well, we're going to start. So this this whole thread appeared, right? Uh, as I said last time, and it was annoying because I was moving house, so I couldn't I couldn't respond to it. It's the only time permanent way has gone viral in a big way, and it went massive because people like us. Uh, people like a thing that seems clever, despite the fact that it's not clever, and actually the real story is much more interesting as a result. Um, I hate this sort of when this sort of thing goes viral, and unfortunately it happens a lot like stupid non-technical stuff that goes viral that's actually just way off the mark well this is one of them and this is actually based on like an email viral chain that went around like in the early days of the internet so this is not new and bill holohan solar if if indeed bill is a real human uh somehow this went viral that he put i don't know if he is indeed a, he does seem to tweet like a real human but he did this silly thread and it was very annoying anyway um here is bill good old bill I hope you're well, Bill. Anyway, right, let's pick through this thing. So, uh, the first start is uh, is indeed, and that's what we're going to talk about this episode, which is the fact that standard rail, standard gauge, uh, it's not just US, it's just actual standard gauge, is, uh, is four foot eight and a half inches, or 1435 millimetres. That's standard gauge. Uh, and standard gauge is the distance between, if we ignore this pillock between line and the tracks, it's the distance between these the the running edges so it's not it's not the it's not from the if you imagine the rail here uh there's the rail uh, it's a very someone squished it but anyway uh, it's not it's not through the middle that's uh it's not that it's from it's uh it's up to the edge it's up to the running edge so actually the, the rail head is like this it's it's this sort of a shape uh there we are and basically uh it's it's to the edge of the of the inside gauge face if you've got to the other side it's over here Anyway, you, you kind of get what I mean, right? That's track gauge. Anyway, uh, so that's correct. Uh, that's a little phallic, isn't it, that rail? Anyway, uh, anyway, right, buzzing going on. This is wrong. So it's many things. Firstly, that picture is stupid. I don't like it. Don't put pictures of people in the forefoot. It's triggering uh, for drivers who've had to deal with that horrible uh, circumstances. And also, it, it's a very bad example to, to lead. Oh, let's get my miniaturized face up, by the way. See, I don't have you here to tell me things. Uh, small face, I'm up in the corner. Oh, the thing is, small face means I'm going to go off small face because I think I've got some of the text in there. I, bye. <laughs> anyway, right. Oh, um, yeah, I'm ignoring the English-British thing because uh, lots of the uh, these engineers were Welsh, Irish, and Scottish, so it's like a classic, confusing England. And British people do this as well. England is not Britain. The English are not the British. Stop saying that. Anyone who says that, you stop saying it. Stop doing it. Um, anyway, uh, so this is this is the massive oversimplification. It's like this whole thread is an annoying series of massive oversimplifications. That's the way that the railroads were built in England is wrong because, and that's the way they designed the first US railroads is wrong because loads of track gauges were used in um, in the US when the railroads started getting built, and by that point. There were lots and lots and lots of track gauges in the UK as well. So it's just nonsense. Uh, so what's the next thing? Um, I'm going to go here. It's another buzz. 
and this is because and this is this weird jump this this like massive intellectual leap of because the the reason the first rail lines were built by the same people who built the wagon tramways and that's the gauge they used um actually i put a false buzz on this and it's not the thing is that's not necessarily that's not actually necessarily that wrong so so to be fair, this this probably should be that that's that kind of is true. So that should really be one, and that should still be that should really be two, and that should be one. Because that's not necessarily incorrect. It's just that the I'm putting it as false. It's keeping false, so it keeps false because the idea the problem there is making a distinction between early railways and tramways. Uh, so if I go big face again, and I'm going to talk about this. This is something I'm going to talk about um, a fair bit, I think, over the next this year. Uh, and I've brought this book out before. It is the um, it's this fantastic Shar publication, Shar Books, uh, Early Railways, 18, uh, 50, 1569 to eighteen thirty. I'd rec if anyone wants to know about railways, get this book. It's super cheap, available at all good bookstores, uh, and it's it's it, it's a really good book. What I'd strongly recommend, uh, one of the reasons I strongly recommend getting it is because it it'll avail you of the idea that the railways magically appeared in eighteen twenty. Actually, pretty. Sorry about that. Uh, Railways are appearing uh, in Britain. The first railways were appearing in in uh, in the 1600s, uh, and and these are not just like oh, it's a track with with wheels. No, no, no. These are things that if you saw them, you'd recognise them as being a railway of some of some of some type. So, um, yeah, you know, these are ropeways. There's there's a lovely picture of the, of the Causey Arch, which was in uh, the, the architecture of the railways built quite recently. There it is. Um, anyway, so you know, we've been and actually railways date back to Greek times. So that's something that's where, where you're not relying on them on uh, basically where the wheels are being steered by the infrastructure rather than a person. It's a it's, in my eyes that's a form of the permanent way. Um, so I count I, I usefully count all of this early railways and all these things all count as the permanent way as opposed to a highway you know a road. Anyway, I'll put this to one side actually because I might grab it again in a minute. Anyway, um, let's go back to no face and talk about this. So so yeah, that's I'm, I am counting that as a false. It's fine. Uh, what else? So yeah, uh, right. This is another note. The people who built the tramways used the same jigs and tools that they used for building wagons, which used the same wheel spacing. This is just all utterly made. This is just made up. Like trying to unpick usefulness out. This is someone has just made this up while they're on the toilet. Like there's no history or, or science behind any of this. Again, if you want to find out some of the early science that went into building these things, and and there is a truth to the fact that there was a that the people who built the early just like the early structures for, for the railways and plateways were all they were joiners and artisans they weren't necessarily civil engineers they were artisans putting these things together uh, because those are the skilled people available so you'll see a lot of you know the earliest um cast iron bridges you know the the, the various old cast iron bridges you'll see where they're essentially assembled using uh joinery joints you know, you know timber uh, joisting joints so so kind of cut cut pieces that fit together with no welding or bolting they just slot together like like wood because that was how structures were understood at the time so um yeah this is nonsense what's the next nonsense uh oh yeah that's it wagons that had a particular odd wheel space if they tried to use any other spacing the wagon wheels would break more often on some of the old long distance roads in england nope that's just again total fiction this is just a fiction it's just made up oh, i'm wiggling my hands around yeah, it's just, just just get my. Yeah, it's made up. It's fiction. It's total nonsense. Um, yeah, it just doesn't. It's just incorrect. Um, 
so this thing so this is the thing so so who built those old rutted roads well this is going to be another nonsense imperial rome built the first long distance roads in europe this is just out by yeah as i say a few thousand years um also these pictures like serious pixel rationing going on in these pictures from his uh, tweets anyway uh, long distance roads go back to like uh stone age times you know we have seriously long distance major long distance roads that are thousands of that arrived that were being built in britain thousands of you know, properly made engineered roads thousands of years before the romans arrived so this is just nonsense um nonsense on still uh, and then and then he goes on about his roman war chariots he's going to mention these roman war chariots over and over again um not only is the idea of ruts damaging a wheel so you have to stick to that design that, that that's just strange because the ruts would be wide and you could they would just widen if you had wheels that were but also um roman war chariots didn't exist so you know and romans the romans moved most of their traffic was not moved by horse and car it was foot people it was foot soldiers it was you know so the ruts wearing in the road is just nonsense because you had the majority of tonnage on these roads would have been uh people walking so that's just it's just fiction it's just nonsense what's the other buzz all uh, right we've skipped forwards to um yeah we've gone so so what about ruts and roads uh roman war chariots and therefore the standard the, the united states standard railroad gauge of four foot eight and a half inches is derived from the original specifications of an imperial Rome, roman war chariot well imperial rome didn't use war chariots war chariots were found to be absolute pants kind of in late greek times so well before they got anywhere near um uh the, you know, before the romans were getting anywhere near there um and as we've already established track gauge was was there were lots and lots of track gauges uh into the uh you know when the, in the early u.s railroads so this is again just totally fictitious total nonsense man and what am i buzzing this time ah yes that's right imperial roman army chariots were made just wide enough to accommodate the rear ends of two war horses and then obviously just to clarify that in brackets two horses asses um no 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 they weren't they don't exist roman army chariots didn't exist and charts and and and, and carts sorry more generally uh they were designed to fit a horse two horses three horses just depend they were all sorts of different designs it just doesn't stand up to any sort of uh historio historiology it's just gibberish what am i buzzing fire call oh yeah this is it the srb is made by fire call the factory in utah well obviously this is this is an indicator of the age of this threat because no srbs are made there anymore although actually there is a transport there is transportation of the srbs uh, i don't know who makes the there are srb there is an srb manufacturer for the the new heavy space launch system thing um but those i think those are being manufactured anyway I, listen to this space shuttle episode from a few weeks ago and um john tells us all about those and we can laugh about those. that's the next bit there are lots of falses here actually Wait a minute. i'm just doing lots of buzz noises sorry um this is this is this is the whole one of the major parts of this thing there are two major flaws number one is the idea that the srbs would have changed would have been a different size had they you know they had to be shipped by train so they'd have made them a different size but that, that limited yes supply chains can limit design but basically the srbs would have been sourced and built somewhere else if they weren't going to be adequate to actually get up into space because they they had a purpose to deliver um and then the other major flaw with this which we'll get to in a second um comes from the fact that it's the idea that the the fact that it runs through a tunnel this is tying loading gauge and track gauge together i think i have a slide about this momentarily um 
tunnel is slightly wider than the railroad track and the railroad track as you know is about as wide as two horses behind so no that's that's not true uh on any level tunnel slightly wider than the railroad track no 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 so ugh. so yeah this basically the whole thread is flawed deeply as a result of this confusion is they're suggesting that track gauge, which, as we've said, is the, is the distance between... Oh, it's a much better sketch of railway running edges. Distance here between the rail running edges, um, that's track gauge, which is uh, 1435, as we've already established. Um, that has almost no relation to loading gauge. Because here we have something that is... This is, uh, this is, the, this is basically the front of a, what looks like some subsurface stock probably oh no it looks quite tight maybe it's deep tube stock anyway basically relevant this is a tube line which clearly has you know it's got it's got it's uh this is this is a running on a standard gauge track this is uh 1435 at the same time i should have put the us i should have put a thing a slide from the u oh you know what i can i can do that uh watch this watch this by the power of magic i'm gonna do this i'm back so, uh, yes, what was I saying? Yes, by the power of magic, I've inserted a slide that's useful, which is, um, you know, so you can have loading gauge. This, here, here are three different types of loading gauge, unrelated to track gauge, mostly. Here is W6A, which uses, it uses 1435. That, the distance down here, uh, down at the bottom of the rails, this here is, this is 1435. Uh, likewise, if you scale up uh, in Europe, much larger loading gauge. The distance between the wheels is 1435, by and large. You know, there are some places that use slightly different track gauge, which also is evidence of undermining the nonsense about track gauge earlier anyway. So, also, let's go to the US, and this isn't even the largest of their loading gauges. This loading gauge is like twice the size of ours. And uh, what's the track gauge? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It's uh, It's 1435 millimeters so loading gauge and track gauge are basically unrelated to all intents and purposes oh there's another buzz uh right so this is basically making the point of this this is the whole final thing which is that the space shuttle has no relation to uh horses bottoms this whole thread is stupid um but what's more interesting is the actual story behind track gauge which is what we're going to look at now um, why are we using four foot eight and a half inches? Well, the story is far more interesting and nuanced and, and silly and, and circumstantial than the nonsense that that thread covers. So uh, let's go through it. See how quickly I go through these when I don't have questions to answer. I'm sorry. Hello, everyone in the chat. Hello, hello, all of you. It's nice to see you. Well, I presume lots of familiar faces. Uh, these pre-records never quite get the interest that the uh, that the live ones do. I think it's because part of the fun of a real matter is the live interaction, right? But, you know, I need a break. So, why four foot eight and a half inches? Well, let's let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's let's work out why. Here is the boy. It's George Stevenson, um, and uh, this chap is one of the major progenitors of the modern railway, alongside his son. Actually, Trevithick um, came before. Uh, Wickens came afterwards. In terms of pioneering railway people, check out my uh, maglev video um, that you can find on the channel if you want me to explain what their roles were respectively and why they're important. But George Stevenson particularly um, is the person who we can kind of credit with standard gauge track. And so that's why I'm starting with him. And he did give us, um, he basically gave us the modern railway system that we know now. Um, now, why did he do that? Well, 
when he was uh, a young butter lad, uh, actually he wasn't a lad; he was quite senior. But he was working. He was kind of leading his lead engineer on the on a, on a number of different uh, col colliery wagonways and collieries. Actually, not just the wagonways, but the collieries um, in the northeast, across the northeast. So some in some north of Newcastle, some down in uh, as far south as Teesside. But basically, a lot. He, he was employed as an engineer across lots of coal coal fields and and these had actually long before he'd arrived these had been using wagonways as as i say in the book here is the on book as i say in the book as as i've read and you can all read in the book um these wagonways have been established in through this throughout the 1700s um, and these were pretty much rec pretty recognizable as railways so this is killingworth which is one that he worked on extensively um and het i think he had a cottage at killingworth but also the other one is is um hetton so the other is hetton and we're gonna actually have a look at hetton right now um you can see actually here you can see they've got uh there's a uh there's actually a local here um but this imagine this is a horse and th this is just for the op for operating this section so this is the hetton uh colliery wagonway you can see oh, i should be using my uh wagon ella tell me off so you can see this is this is the level part which they actually use the locomotives for but even as you know right up until the, the kind of more recent years all of the inclines were used used sort of hauling in you know these these sort of stationary engines uh, there's a, a kind of a major stationary engine pump house and then likewise in the other direction to get up over the hill so they're kind of coming up over the hill and then dropping down into Sunderland and it gives and there's Hetton Colliery itself number four so what have we got so we've got yeah fixed engines uh number is number two uh number three also fixed engine there we are. so there's number there's number two there's number three um number four is the pit in this case Hetton Colliery with with again you see as a locomotive taking it to the bottom of the thing so you've got locomotives kind of and this is pretty common for all these sorts of railways um these early railways you'd have some form of of, of rope or wagon haulage uh, or, or horse haulage sorry along the levels then you'd hook them up to the to, to on the incline they'd get pulled up by the by a fixed engine stationary engine and then likewise they'd get they'd then maybe sometimes you had gravity working uh, they, they would roll down the hill with a brakeman applying the brake uh, down to the bottom then they get hooked up to a wagon or a horse uh, sorry a loco or a horse and then get hauled down uh, down to the coal stave or whatever it is yeah here you see the stave there we are the stave uh, and in this case it's at Sunderland um you can see when this this drawing was done when it was a little more idyllic uh, as we'll see by the um by the image I'm about to by the mapping I'm about to show you but these you can see these wagons here these children wagons uh down here um I love this actually I'm gonna get my scribbles the figure below is admirably illustrative of the appearance of the loaded train while upon the level i love that they're conveyed by the locomotive engines again you can see this is quite early on in the, this 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 these drawings or, or engravings are presumably quite old anyway let's go and have a look at some mapping shall we so here is hetton colliery in uh i think the very early 1900s um yeah i can't exactly remember the date but i think actually i'll find out now uh, oh, so this is actually okay. This is 1895, so so reasonably, so so pretty well. By this point, this is a you know this is probably at or near its peak operation. Maybe even at its peak was later, but I think probably it certainly it gives an idea of scale. It wouldn't have looked like this when it was first established. It wouldn't have looked like this when Stevenson was working on it. You know, it's uh, quite a number of years later. It's a lot more well established. You can see the scale of of Hetton Colliery. Also, we can have a look at what's there now, which is oh look, it's just nothing in an industrial estate. 
That's kind of what you'd expect, I suppose. Um, anyway, what we're going to do is follow that old wagonway because it's interesting. To, so the route of the old wagonway, which is sort of now called the, the Hetton Colliery Railway at this point, so presumably all friction worked. Uh, I don't think there are any stationary engines <coughs> along there, but we're going to follow it anyway. You can see it had lots of branch lines. There's another colliery there and a branch line feeding into it. One thing you'll notice is this 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 design very much takes straight and curved to the extreme. So it's like big, long, straight, sharp curve. Also, interestingly, shoved a depot at the curve. So I think that's potentially gives an indication of the types of working. Then a long straight, and then you come up here to another curve, and there's the sort of sidings and all sorts. And then again, and, and you see each of these, I think each of the curves coincides with a grade as well. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that. I'm not an expert on on the early railways, or, um, but I, it's sort of uh, my understanding is that often you'd have the, the vertical and horizontal alignments are often tied together. So, so at the curve you'd have you'd have sidings because that's where you'd have the wagons piling up before you hook them onto the next thing. You can see the names of some of these. So this is Buyer Bank. So this is one of the banks. So so you'd have and there is yeah. So there is still an engine. There is still a stationary engine. Actually, in this you can see, and I think it talks about it in this uh, later on. Is the fact that, that that some of these old work, some of these um, stationary engine workings were still in place? Yeah. So there's some pictures of some of these. Oh, let's go big face for a second. Uh, so some of these wagonways were still operating, um, you know, right up until the early 1900s, uh, and indeed even later. So uh, I don't know to what extent that's focusing. There are there's some pictures, uh, nicely focused, uh, and I'll get my fingers off the. Uh, there we are. Oh, anyway, I'm moving the wrong fingers there. It's difficult to do this when you're looking at it in reverse. Uh, anyway, there you go. This this that's nice. And uh, can I do? Oh, I'm really bad at knowing which hand to move. Yeah, 1908. So you can see how you can see how long these things are. And indeed, here we are in 1895, and there's still one of the banking engines in place. Yep, there it is. You can see it. You can see that that banking engine there, buyer engine there. Um, actually, let's, let's see how much is left of it. Oh, nothing. Completely gone. Absolutely gone. <laughs> Christ. Anyway, interesting that it's intersecting another another bank there, another uh, com presumably competing coal. Yeah, so the Rainton Seam Railway and the long run. See, they, it's fascinating. They all have these names. So yeah, this bit then the flat there from Bar from Bar Engine. So presumably this is a bit that will be. Uh, Why is that pixelated? Strange. Uh, presumably yeah, a section there that's. Um, yeah, that's that's better. Uh, a section that will be horse worked or later locomotive worked. Then the the bank Warden Law Bank. They're running down oh, another uh, Warden Law engine. Let's see that that uh, gone totally gone. It. What's absolutely incredible is the scale of these um, the scale of change in the northeast. You know this this part of the country is just it's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, and anyway, first incline. So I presume another one of the worked inclines there. Uh, There's a cottage. I wonder if that cottage is still there. Is it still there? It is not. No, it's gone. It seems even it's strange, even that cottages have disappeared over time. So the, there's another little work workman shed or something that's totally gone. Oh yeah, look, there's the what I presume is the A19 whizzing through. What is this? Uh, yeah, it looks A19y to me. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so there it is. Oh, also, what's interesting is this this plantation, this bit of planted woodland, ancient woodland, because by the fact that it's on the map from this period, and uh, that's gone. Yeah, you see the boundary is just there. But it's not, uh, yeah, it's gone, very much gone. Uh, although more forestry has appeared elsewhere. Anyway, let's keep following it. South Farrick, this it's interesting, isn't it, all this stuff? Yeah, that's gone. Just everything radically transformed. I just don't realise it. Another depot seat. And see, another thing, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, I mean, you can see the, 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 the fact this alignment is pretty much like, it's dead straight, there's another, Bog Row. Look at that, Bog Row. Huh. 
Anything left of Bogrut? Nope, it's gone. Totally gone. Uh, there's a rifle range here. That's strange. That's also not there. And also this huge Silksworth uh, colliery that's now gone. Uh, you can see that the, the, those house, the houses are still there in Silksworth, but the colliery is very much uh, evaporated. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Oh, and another example of this, this, this track alignment. The track alignment's here. It's just very much like straight and then another straight and then a nominal curve. It's uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. These are not railways designed for speed. Um, actually, it's got a single track here. This is a this is a one uh, one mile twenty five inch uh, map. There we are. So we're getting up into this area. So different sheets of mapping here all snipped together. This is off the NLS web uh, NLS maps website, by the way. It's absolutely fantastic resource. Uh, here it is continuing. We've got well, we've got pumping stations. Any of this still here? Some things. The reservoir outline is still there, but Humbledon Hill is somewhat incorporated into the... Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Absolutely fascinating. And the road, the road alignment too. Ah, oh, man, I just find this... I can just get lost on this. And I, yeah, I just think it's quite interesting. I, this is a mild digression, but I just think it's quite interesting to look through um, to look through what this... This is like another coal depot, possibly another is another engine there. It could be that, they've, that the, the gradient is sufficient there, that it's all local work now. Anyway, so we're reaching out. Oh, we're reaching into Sunderland proper now. This is big Sunderland. Uh, we've reached our first, I believe, our first extant railway. Yeah, there it is. The railway does... A uh, first railway that actually exists still. Um, there it is. Anyway, our railways... Our, our Hetton Colliery Railway is whizzing along. It's continuing down. Uh, manure depot, cripes. Corporation stables. It's just, it's just, it's a different world. It's, it's the world of like, it's, yeah, it's just incredible. This is this is the, the pain shop branch of the Northeastern Railway. Anyway, ignore that. We're coming along here, whizzing along here, and then whiz down here. And oh, actually, there's the the bit, sorry, the junction here where it's splitting. What's it doing? Oh, it's all tunneled as well. So actually, it's dropping down into tunnels here. So it's in tunnels underneath. I wonder what has that been broken out or. I wonder if those tunnels still exist. They might well do. Fascinating. Anyway, whizzing down and then joining, here they are, the Hetton Staiths. So these coal staiths that would just load directly into the ships um, uh, in the in the weir. Absolutely incredible. Uh, oh, that's nice. That's nice and colourful. I do say that's some slightly newer mapping. Anyway, there we are. So you can just see this. Look at the scale of railway works here. The lambton drops. Again, if I look at what's here now, just nothing. They've just parkified it. There's uh, the... Uh, Weirmouth Bridge, or rather its replacement. Uh, yeah, it's just incredible how much of how, the scale of what isn't there anymore. Also, uh, people's houses, R.I.P. Crikey. Is the church still there? The church is, isn't. It doesn't even look like the church is still there. Just radical alteration. Anyway, there we go. And some bottle works, just if you're, if you're curious. Just fascinating. Anyway, I hope that was interesting. Um, but that's an example of one of these wagonways. A major digression, but I just thought it'd be kind of interesting to look at. Um, yeah, look, and then likewise on the other side, the Weirmouth quarry drops on the other side, and that'll be the same. Wagon, it even says Wagonway there, yeah, and then whizzing off onto just so that so the railways were not, you know, there's this mixture of kind of traditional railway operation and these and these wagonways, and um, and so here we're back to that picture of of one, and, and so you can sort of see this, there's the colliery, and you sort we saw saw some of those things. There's the bank, some of those banks, and then uh, inclines. We, we sort of looked at those and and how they operate, and then there's kind of a long bit, and then it came down and it went down into the states, down here. So you can see the scale here is somewhat less than we just looked at on the map. But anyway, gives you an idea. There's a nice ship doing its thing with coal, and by and large, a lot of that coal went straight to London actually, um, powering London. Anyway, right. And actually, that's interesting. You can see the Weirmouth Bridge there as well. It's quite nice, isn't it? 
Right, I digress. Anyway, also, nice big house. Uh, an idea of what this once looked like, and then how industrial everything became, and then how also sort of deindustrialized and boringified, and yeah, interesting times. So, oh, I digress somewhat. Here we are with the boy again. So we've we've seen a picture of these children. So these are the children wagons for Cole that he was that he was running with, and these these wagonways had um well basically. Let's, uh, so, so these wagons were running back and forth. So any any infrastructure upgrades that he was doing, um, were always going to end up with um, with him making use of this existing because they had loads of these childrens. They weren't going to suddenly build a load of new childrens. They were going to keep that and, and run them on any new infrastructure. So, um, uh, it's worth saying at this point that lots of different all these different plateways had loads of different gauges. You know, you had anything between like four foot, five foot. Anything, you know, as early as the 1760s, you had, like, strips of iron being used on these as a sort of a reinforcement. So it wasn't just wood. So you can see sort of what these these look like a bit here. This is just really just planks of wood they've put, they've placed here. But um, uh, you can sort of, they used to started laying these with, with strips of, sort of strips of, um, uh, of, of iron to sort of reinforce them a bit. Um, and, but by the 1790s, so by the time that uh, Stevenson was sort of starting to, to work, um, and in fact, even before that, you had didn't just have these plateways, but actually you had sort of what was what were called uh, so plates, but also edge rails, which looked so they were they were kind of relied on these flanges. So that you can see you can see these flange shapes here. So so by which I mean a flange, you've got the the wheel shape, and then there's this sort of uh, kind of narrow strip behind it. Let's get my uh, there. This thing here. This is the uh, this is the flange. Nope. This here is the flange. There we go. I got there in the end. I think I think you all knew what I meant. The flange here, this, yeah, there we go. The flange, this bit, uh, and and basically those were those fitted in with with sort of rails that were laid that had almost this shape. They kind of had an edge rail shape. Um, in any case, um, so yeah, Stevenson was um, he was chief mechanical engineer at Killingworth. Um, and he'd already been building locomotives. He'd been building locomotives, so he started playing with. So actually, the picture we have here. Um, He'd already been playing with kind of locomotives that looked, they're pretty rudimentary, but looked kind of like this. So this one's like chain drive, you know, sort of pretty rudimentary stuff. But he was already cocking around with this. In fact, I think he built um, he built as many as 16 different versions that ran at Killingworth and, and some others that ran at Hetton, which is here um, at Hetton. Um, and so basically, yeah, they relied on, on flange wheels and edge rails. And so they actually used new raw iron edge rails. Um, but he was building this system um, based on using these existing sort of basically existing technology. So he was upgrading existing technology. So you have these existing plateways. So you can see them kind of, I'm, I'm doing them in sketch form. These existing plateways. And the center line, originally these have been plateways. And, the, and, and for whatever reason, the plateways of, the, of both Killingworth and Hetton uh, had, the, the plateways were just laid a fairly straightforward five feet apart. Right, pretty basic stuff. Um, this it could have been a different gauge, you know. It just by chance, it happened to be five feet, and the distance and these these the the, the plateway sort of plates were, um, what were they? They were that uh, would have been four inches each, so they're about four inches wide each, roughly, and so the distance between uh, so the distance between uh, the edges of those. So rather than from being a plateway to an edgeway. And edge uh, using edge rails, the distance between them is to use the same chaldrons ended up being four for eight, eight inches, four for eight inches. So, so kind of with the the distance between, um, sort of the distance. Let me get scribbling here. If these if these were kind of nominally four inches, 
uh, around about around about four inches so then that means you have two inches here and you have two inches here and so uh four foot 12 inches which is uh, the same as five foot uh minus four inches which is you know the two plus the two i got this wrong in my thread originally which is why i'm working the numbers gives you uh, gives you four foot eight inches. That's where the four foot eight inches came from. And it could have been that those plates had been, for whatever reason, placed, you know, five and a half feet apart or four and a half feet apart, and we would have had a different outcome. But it just so happened to be that five foot was what had been selected back, you know, a hundred years before Stevenson had arrived, probably. Um, and that was that was what he chose because those were the Cholden wagons. So, um, yeah, and so then he went on, he got told, or he got asked to go and do something else. And what was that something else? Well, it was to build another, um, to build another railway. Actually, the Hetton line um, had been upgraded and open. it kind of, the expanded Hetton line uh, had been opened in 1822. So um, Hetton actually ended up being, so so let me see. So he developed locomotives to be compatible on the Killingworth line. I'm reading my own article on this to make sure I get my numbers right. So that's why I'm looking over here. Um, you can go and look at it. I'll I'll post it uh, tonight. I'll put it up on. Um, no, no, I'll do it. When will I do it? I'll maybe do it the week after, and it'll remind as a bit of a prompt to people to come back and watch this. Anyway, it, it'll be on Medium soon. Um, but it was in. You can find the thread as well. Basically, in the in the eighteen twenties, he was expanding these 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 collieries were expanding their wagonways, um, and uh, and so um, yeah, Hetton started relying on on both gravity and Stevenson's new locomotives. So so kind of as we showed, as we showed here, um, and this became the first. So Hetton actually that line we've just followed became the first railway using no animal power. So very much a record breaker and totally non-existent anymore. Doesn't exist at all. You know, one of the most historically important railways out there doesn't, no trace remain, or I don't know, do any traces remain? Not sure. In any case, uh, that was then beaten by, you know, so a year before that line opened, um, there was a new railway company, the Stockton Darlington, which was tying up a lot of different collieries onto one railway line. Um, they decided upon the use of edge rails rather than a plateway because Stevenson had somewhat lobbied them to do so. Um, and under advisement, I, I dare say, uh, and he was then later appointed, conveniently later appointed to um, to specify and build that line and its steam engines, and uh, and thus he just built what he knew. He reused that four foot eight inches. So the Stockton Darlington uh, was built here with da, 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 four foot eight inches. That was the gauge. And so the Stockton and Darlington Railway, famous because it was the first publicly, um, you know, it was the first railway that allowed public access, first hold passengers, loads of things that Stockton Darlington was very famous for. But actually, all of the component parts had already, you know, locomotives had already been used on tra on tracks. Trevithick had, you know, got there much earlier, back in the eighteen in, in the very early eighteen hundreds, eighteen oh single digits, eighteen oh four, I think, was the first time we did it reliably um, on there down in Penadaran. Um and so so, it, but it. But it enabled some of the operational uh, kind of elements and the fact that it had no animals working on it. It had no animals. It did have inclines, like the Stockton Darlington did still have inclines that, that required stationary engines to work. But by and large, um, it relied on, for the majority of its length, relied on locomotive haulage. So quite different. Hetton was the first to, to get rid of its animals, but Stockton Darlington was the first um, that was more close to modern. But it wasn't the full picture. It wasn't a full modern railway system yet. And indeed, Stevenson moved on to two other projects. Uh, one was the Bolton and Lee Railway, 
No one knows anything about the Bolton Lee Railway. I'm sure it has an interesting history. I don't know much about it. I do, however, know quite a lot about the Liverpool and Manchester Railway, which was uh, somewhat more famous. Um, so Stockton Darlington had opened in 1825, and uh, the Liverpool and Manchester opened in 1830. Now, here's a nice picture of the, of the Liverpool and Manchester. And he did make a tweak. So he realised that given that this was a railway with quite a few curves and it was locomotive hauled, he found that increasing the gauge just a touch using the same rolling stock, he didn't want to redesign his rolling stock, but just increasing the gauge by a touch um, gave better travel through curves. Um, so he, it reduced binding. And, um, and that resulted in a quarter inch, sorry, a quarter inch shift of the rails outwards on either side resulted in four for eight and a half inches. And that is how you get four for eight and a half inches. It is as simple as that. Well, it's not that simple, but it's much more interesting than the nonsense he was made, the pseudo-scientific, pseudo-historic nonsense that was being made up previously. And here it is. Here's, here's, here's the railway in its view going over Chat Moss. Um, very grand. So, um, what next? Well, railways continue to expand very dramatically. And um, there's just a tremendous explosion at that point. Liverpool and Manchester was the first, this thing, was the first modern railway. It wasn't just the railway system, it was the, the means of operation. They were a single carrier. Uh, they had a timetable, they had signalling, uh, it was dual track, uh, they had, you know, it was, it was very much, a they had passenger stations, it was a, it was a modern railway system as we'd recognise. Um, and that was really the kickoff point. The success of Liverpool and Manchester um, is what gave the rest of the world, if you hadn't had that success, it's difficult to pick a counterfactual, but without the success of Liverpool and Manchester, everything would have been slower. It would have taken longer. And it was the connection of the Liverpool Manchester down to London that really drove that growth, which was only a few years later. Uh, by that point, the, the Great Western was, was peeling in. Um, all of it was kind of obviously helped, well, it was helped along by this sort of latent industrial behemoth that was the slave industry, needing somewhere to put all of its managers and all of its operational nous, um, as well as a lot of capital. So there was indeed a transition of the slip from the slave industry into the railways, which is what gave us the railways kind of allowed that acceleration of railway development. Um, it might've happened earlier had, had slavery been abolished earlier, you, you might argue, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of interesting history to unpick there, which is, which is happening now, thanks to a load of dear friends and, and colleagues uh, and uh, lots of clever historians looking into it now. Keep your eyes peeled. Anyway, so massive growth in, in railway mileage. And then we end up with these two having a fight everyone loves this fight right but it was a little more complicated than that because by the way not everything was being built to standard gauge um so you had you know a good examples of uh you know so liverpool and manchester did lead and george and, uh, and robert more robert by this point actually were leading on the development of lot they were engineers on lots of railways so huge amounts huge amounts of railway mileage where they were leading and therefore they used you know standard gauge was used and standard gauge was considered a good idea lots of other people picked it up as well um however uh thomas granger who was scotland's main railway builder uh he basically got confused and misread the specified gauge of the stock in darlington he kind of believed that the four foot eight inches was actually the distance between the centres. So he narrowed the gauge again down to four foot six inches. So that had to be widened uh, at a later date. So that's so lots of the Scottish railways were built with a gauge two inches narrower than it should have been, uh, which is which is interesting. Um, also, remember, there are loads of narrow gauges around as well and lots of existing wagonways and plateways. So at this point, into the 1840s, there are dozens of different track gauges. And then obviously, you know, Brunel comes along um, at the, this guy. Uh, here is Brunel with his with his chops. There's Brunel. There's, there's Brunel. Anyway, this guy um, 
uh, thinks that he knows best, and so he comes up with, uh, well, let's explain. So with Stevenson's gauge, here it is, you know, it's uh, some nice rails, uh, four for eight, in, uh, eight and a half inches uh, apart, 1435 millimeters. No, no, Brunel reckons that he can create a, a railway that's got a larger capacity and can go faster, neither of which ended up being true, um, by using seven foot quarter inch. Uh, so originally it was seven foot, but again, he increased, he actually increased it by an eighth of an inch on either side to, to help with binding. Um, so that ended up to 2,140 millimeters, quite substantially wider than standard gauge. But as evidenced by the trains that were running at the time on all of the railways fairly soon afterwards, it made no difference to speed. And as we've seen, it made no particular difference to loading gauge, you know, loading gauge was reasonably unrelated. So, um, as with lots of his other ideas, for example, this thing, the horse viscera pipe. Um, good grief. Yeah, look at that. It's just just lots of rat viscera being pumped through there at pace. Quite something. Although nice, what's what's more interesting here is that there is a nice picture of them. Um, let me get my, uh, let me get my, the correct coloured mouse up here. There is a nice picture of the, um, of the traditional sort of uh, Brunel bridge rails there. That's a nice bridge rails. Which I did my sketch on a moment ago. You can see I did I did a sketch of some bridge rails. Look at that. Me getting P-Way nerdy. Anyway, uh, there they are. Um, that's his atmospheric railway, by the way. Go and watch the uh, Well, There's Your Problem podcast on um, on atmospheric railways. And there's a piece in Rail Magazine, actually, on, on atmospheric railways. Either this issue or last issue. I should be able to grab it somewhere. No, never mind. Anyway, uh, so yeah, have a read of atmospheric railways and laugh at them and, and laugh at people who think they're a good idea. So, although the the idea underlying it, which was that the railways shouldn't carry their own power source around, was a good one, but it, it just needed, you know, just needed electricity to arrive for it to, and then all of a sudden it became redundant. Anyway, so, more importantly than any of that was the, was just basically force of numbers. By the time that, you know, by the time we were reaching sort of the mid-1840s, uh, there was eight times more Stevenson gauge than Brunel gauge. So Stevenson gauge had very much become the predominant gauge, and indeed in some places railways were correcting their gauge to to match with um to match with stevenson's gauge one of the things though as with any kind of new technologies th there was a behavior that they hadn't that none of the railway pioneers had really expected kind of an emergent behavior it happens emergent behaviors are behaviors unexpected from a system that you've set in motion uh, and that co people who do coding will recognize this actually uh, so those who are watching who do coding will might recognize this emergent behavior sometimes bad sometimes annoying in the case of the railways good and that was that people would people and things would travel between railways. Remember, railways were built as a as a little package. They weren't thought of as, as a strategic system at this point. They were just built as like a little package. And the idea that people would travel, you know, people would travel, trains would travel between different railways had not been thought of. So it became fortuitous. You know, it was only usefulness in, in that the engineering principles were the same, that they'd stuck the Stevenson gauge. It wasn't because they thought people would travel between them. But all of a sudden you started having, and you look at the, you know, the Stevenson network, which by the way, looks pretty much exactly like HS2, um, HS2's route map, uh, Google that, and um, it just people started traveling on these on the uh, you know trains started traversing not just one or two railways but across multiple railway systems and so track gauge became very important and it became important to the point where the government thought that the economy was being held up of towns were being held up by changes at breaks of gauge so for example on the breaks of gauge that were happening in Birmingham and down down in Gloucester is another example where you had the break the change from Brunel gauge to Stevenson gauge. Everything, people, but more importantly, goods were having to be shipped out of, actually changed, lifted out of one 
item of you know one 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 wagon into another wagon before it could t continue its journey well, completely wasteful you know waste of of, of uh, human resourcing and also time you know a huge extra time and cost uh, and this was annoying the people who had their goods transported as well and so government said well okay we need to sort that out then don't we and so in 1846, they passed the Gage Act. There was a royal commission, and the, the Gage Act was passed in 1846. And indeed, here it is. Here are some excerpts of it. And it, um, it's, it's, it specified that standard gauge was to be Stevenson's gauge. Hooray! And there you have it. That's how standard gauge became four foot eight and a half inches. Um, but what about the United States? Because that whole thing, that whole stupid thread thing was talking about... Um, uh, yeah, it was talking about track gauge in in the during the Civil War and and kind of uh, actually didn't mention the Civil War. It just talked about track gauge, but we are going to mention the Civil War. Here's the Civil War. Here are the goodies. Here are the goodies, ish, and here are the definite baddies mostly. Um, and uh, both of them railways were absolutely fundamental to the to that war. And in, in the South, uh, the railways were were operated to destruction. But interestingly. The 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 gauge the, the gauge face the the, the the track gauge on the for the the majority of the Confederacy was five feet not four foot eight and a half inches, so um, had the South won, uh, I mean there's some other substantially negative things that would have happened uh, rather uh, rather frightening ramifications, but uh, had the South won then the U.S. railroad um, track gauge would be five five foot probably, um, so there's a counterfactual for you to play with. Uh, and as we've said, no relation to, to loading gauge in any case. So, um, yeah, basically, it would have been likely that five, four, that five foot would have been adopted, not four foot eight and a half inches, which is interesting. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a load of just nonsense issues of trying to tie the Romans into any of this, because we've said, you know, they didn't have war chariots. Roads proceed, you know, manufactured roads preceded them. I mean, the Greeks had plateways, as we've already said, for goodness sake, as you can, as you can read in this fine book. Um so, oh my goodness me. Anyway, so that's that's that basically. That's 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 our explanation. And um yeah, so basically the point is even after the civil war in the US, there are multiple track gauges. We um Justin Rosniak and I talk about this. Do not eat and I talk about this in our US railroad episode and there's an excellent bit load of stuff about track gauges in uh, the Well, There's Your Problem podcast episode um, on the uh, on the disaster where a bridge collapsed and everything fell in and burst into flames. Uh, it's one of the various train episodes, well worth a watch. Um, so they talk about the fact that you had breaks of gauge just for the sake of it, um, deliberately used as a tool. Uh, in any case, although it's a misnomer that break of gauge was used as a tool to protect the Russian Empire, that's a that's not right. Um, so be wary of more myths. You know, we should, as best we can, try and burst these myths wide open whenever we spot them. Um, ah, yeah. So if you want more detail on the sort of the, the, the space shuttle rocket booster implications of all this, go back to episode 55 episodes ago. Um, but how am I going to conclude? Well, I'm going to conclude by a quote from George Stevenson's son, Robert Stevenson. Uh, and this is what he said in an appearance in front of the Royal Commission for Railway Gauges in 1845. And I think it summarizes the whole debate quite neatly, which is that um, if I had been called upon to do so, it would be difficult to give a good reason for the adoption of an odd measure. Four feet, eight and a half inches. That was my best, like, general generic northeastern accent, by the way, because stevenson's had i think actually to be fair they had like quite strong geordie accents which i'm which is not what i just did that was a borough accent anyway um there you go uh so that's from the from the horse's mouth as it were <laughs> um 
yeah, he just there is no good reason for it. It just sort of happened that way. And it's more interesting to then explore the fun and the politics as a result of that. But um, we should do our very best to bust these myths wide open where we can because they, they're they all over the place. You know, the, the, the Great Central was a high speed line is, is a load of nonsense, all these sorts of things. Uh, we should try our very best to undermine these these myths, these lies where we can. Let's go big face. Where best we can. Um, if you want some early, not only should you read the the Early Railways book, but uh, it's downstairs, isn't it? You should also read, um, there's quite a few things in behind me. You should also read um, The Railway Track, um, which is by Andrew Dow, which is fantastic. I think I've held it up before. Well worth a read. Um, and it goes into some of the details of the early... It talks about the gauge question. It talks about the different gauges. And it talks about the different track the way track infrastructure looked at the time. Because it's fascinating, fiddly detail of these, these great leaps and developments that happened. Really, actually, the detail here is that these, these developments were happening... Dow goes into a little bit of the development of those plateways. But by and large, the railways, you know, the infrastructure looked pretty much... As, as it does now, you know, check rails, switches and crossings, all these developments pretty much been refined by the, um, you know, by the 1800s. You know, there'd been 200 years of development. Really, it's the, it, it, the, the, the permanent way hasn't developed much since then because it's, it's done. It's, it's, it works. It's, it's very reliable. We've, we've made material refinements, but the actual infrastructure looks pretty much the same as it always has. You know, little tweaks. It's the operational changes, the, the locomotive, you know, the changes actually have happened to the locomotive mostly in the last 200 years. So, um, and, and rolling stock. So, yeah, and also electrification technology, of course, as well, and signaling um, and brakes. So all the other fun stuff has developed, but the track was kind of done by, by the early 1800s. Anyway, right, let's go back to my, uh, back to No Face again and say uh, the usual, which is this will be converted into audio form um, in the usual way. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening to those of you who did. I hope this worked in audio-only format, although, as ever, quite visual. Um so yeah, that's uh, that's uh, it's always a pleasure to have you along. We get quite decent numbers on there. We can't, I mean, don't get the. You, there's no single source that gives you all of the listening numbers, but our Spotify numbers are not bad at all, actually, all things considered. Um, what else? Patreon, Discord, and PayPal. The the adverts. So um, I never say it, but please always do like uh, and subscribe. If you watch these and enjoy these, please do like and subscribe. I, I, it annoys me when people say that, but I've been told I should say it by my by my um, producers, i.e. Patreon people. So patreon.com slash Gareth Dennis to go on the Patreon and, and support me. Please do that. It, it really helps me continue to do this um, nonsense. Um, if you want to get involved in the chat and keep up to date with things and see behind the scenes looks of stuff, then Patreon's a good place to go. But also on the Discord is where I will update you on various things. GarethDennis.co.uk slash Discord. And if you don't want any of the faff and you just want to chuck a bit of loose change at me, then um, paypal.me slash GarethDennis is where to go. Thank you very much indeed for that. Oh, next week. Uh, it's what I promised would happen this week, which is, it's going to be episode 56, how governments use evidence to make transport policy. It's going to be another PDF page turn, except this time we have the authors. Um, I've already done this plug last week, didn't I? But anyway, uh, Alistair and Kelly, Alistair Baldwin and Kelly Shuttleworth are going to be joining us from the Institute for Government. They're going to talk through their report. We're going to try and do it in an hour. We'll see how it goes. Um, and... I'm excited about this one because there it's a very useful, very interesting report, and it basically says all the things that I've been saying for a very long time about lack of plan, lack of coordination. Except they're experts and researchers in it, so they have the expert, they have the expert knowledge and the research and the data to actually back up those assertions. So that should be really good. Um, it only really remains for me to sort of say, um, to say cheerio. Really, I've I've brought big face back. Um, Thanks so much, everyone, for, for watching this one. I know it's not live, and I know that's never quite as entertaining for everyone, but um, 
hopefully it's an interesting topic. Uh, standard track gauge. I, I don't know. Are there any other videos on YouTube that actually describe how it comes about? I'm not sure there are. Um, there's there's not like one book about it. It's 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 more happenstance than than sort of preordained magic or or some fictitious nonsense story about war chariots and bottoms of horses. Um, yeah, I will see you live again uh, next week uh, on Monday, uh, Monday the 5th for a stream, game stream, where I build railways. If you've been following that, it's all good fun. Um, and then on Wednesday for the live live episode 56 of, of, of Natter. I will see you all then. Um, until then, have a nice time. Have a, have a good weekend. And... Um, Cheerio! Cheerio!